Hi, I'm Dr. Rebecca May, and this is Arcana Advances. Follow along as we explore all renal research happenings at Arcana Laboratories. Hello, welcome to Arcana Advances, where we discuss exciting new research in renal pathology performed by our own physicians. I'm Dr. Rebecca May, and today we have Dr. Tiffany Kaza, who will be discussing her recent article in Kidney 360 titled, Transforming Growth Factor Beta Receptor 3, Associated Membranous Nephropathy. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Kaza. Thanks for having me, Dr. May. So first, just to bring us all on the same page, can you tell us about membranous nephropathy? Absolutely. Uh, So membranous nephropathy is an autoimmune kidney disease that is limited to the kidney. It can be due to autoantibodies of which are circulating and become planted antigens, and this happens with PLA2R-associated membranous as well as THSD7A-associated membranous, which uh, were two of the first antigens identified in 2009 and 2014. In the recent few years, multiple antigens have been identified. In a lot of cases of membranous now, we know the target antigen. There used to be thought to be primary versus secondary membranous, where if you don't have an autoantigen, you go searching for a potential secondary cause, like an infection, autoimmune disease, drug, etc. But now we're gearing away toward that through an antigen-based approach. And you've been a big part of discovering some of these new antigens, which is amazing. And this paper looks at membranous lupus nephritis, which I know is a particular interest of yours. How many lupus patients have lupus nephritis? Close to half of lupus patients develop autoimmune kidney disease. Um, As far as membranous lupus nephritis that we're going to talk about today, about 10% are limited to membranous lupus nephritis, and another 30% have a proliferative lupus nephritis that has a membranous component too. So there's a really high disease burden. And what did we know about the antigens involved in membranous lupus nephritis when you started this study? All too little, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, About a quarter of cases are due to the exostosin 1, exostosin 2 complex. That's probably the most common antigen. And then neural cell adhesion molecule 1, or NCAM1, makes up about 7%. But right now... There is a lot of membranous lupus nephritis cases where we don't know the antigenic target. And why is it important to figure out what the antigenic target is? Hopefully in the future, it'll better characterize the disease into subgroups. Mm -hmm. Um, So American College of Rheumatology, there was a working group that was looking to divide lupus patients into four subgroups that have different disease activity and disease, um, different antibodies, but they're general antibodies such as ANA specificities as well as HLA haplotypes to help for prognosis. Um, it's potential that antigens can also help with determining prognosis, and this is true for exostosin 1 and exostosin 2. It's been shown that patients with this type of membranous, they do not go on to develop end-stage kidney disease, don't tend to have flares, and it's really associated with a good prognosis. Ideally, we could identify autoantibodies in serum and use that for non-invasive monitoring. Mm. Um, We're not there yet, but that's a hope for the future. 
So you um, were looking for other antigens associated with membranous lupus nephritis. So how did you do antigen discovery? So two main methods. We pulled immune complexes out of the biopsy tissue through immunoprecipitation with protein G that binds aminoglobulin. Mm. We also did laser capture microdissection just to enrich for all proteins within glomeruli. And this was a technique that's been used to describe multiple antigens now. They're starting to use tissue-based approaches versus serologic-based approaches um, that were traditionally used, although both are important. And in each set, it's important to have controls to know that it's specific to a subgroup of samples and not seen in, you know, all kidney diseases, not specifically. So what did you find when you did this with the renal biopsy tissue? Sure. So we identified two cases of TGF-BR3 positivity in 31 overall samples um, of patients with uh, membranous glomerulopathy. Um, These cases both had membranous lupus nephritis, and TGF-BR3 is transforming growth factor beta-3. And transforming growth factor receptors are present Um, within glomeruli, and they're actually in all compartments. They're in podocytes, mesangial cells, endothelial cells, and um, these are actually thought to be protective against autoimmunity, but they're known to be expressed within the kidney itself. Okay, so how did you know that it was specific to staining in membranous then, if it is in all compartments, if these growth factors are in all compartments of the kidney? Um, Sure. So we did this by staining uh, multiple high-proteinuric state kidney diseases, such as minimal change disease, focal and segmental glomerulosclerosis, diabetic nephropathy, and fibrillary glomerulopathy, Mm -hmm. um, as well as diffuse lupus nephritis, so those with a proliferative component but without membranous lupus nephritis. Because we didn't see staining within glomeruli within those cases, Mm -hmm. um, except we did have a case in the diffuse lupus nephritis group, um, but we're, we're looking at membranous lupus, so um, figure that that's okay, and usually um, proliferative and membranous lupus nephritis cases could actually go together. Um, but because we didn't see staining in glomeruli, we called it specific, and also those peptides weren't seen in other samples by mass spectrometry. So then you looked at a larger cohort of um, membranous lupus nephritis cases, 199, a huge number. And so what did you find um, when you stained for TGF-BR3? So overall, 6% of cases were TGF-BR3 positive. Um, We also saw the other known autoantigens in um, membranous lupus nephritis. 17% were EXT1, EXT2 positive. 7% were NCAM positive. And then we still have a lot with an unknown antigen type Mm. here. Yeah. And you also looked at uh, PLE2R positive membranous cases, right, to see if there was any staining? Yeah, we we looked at over 100 cases of PLE2R um, negative membranous without membranous lupus nephritis, and there were no cases that were TGFBR3 positive. So we think this is mostly restricted to membranous lupus. Uh, Okay. All right. I see. So... You have a biorepository with serum and renal tissue um, from patients. And can you tell us a little bit about that biorepository? 
Absolutely. And you're giving me way more credit than I deserve, Dr. May. Um, <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> yeah, Arcana has been collecting a biorepository for some time now. But um, so we did screen um, unstained sludge that we had um, matched serum samples, and we found three samples that were TGFB or three positive. Um, so we attempted serologic testing for these cases. Unfortunately, this was not a fruitful experience despite mm. uh, really trying. So we, we tried multiple recombinant proteins for TGFBR3 and using the patient sera as a primary antibody against recombinant protein by Western blotting. And this has been a technique used for multiple autoantigens in membranous now, but we didn't find positivity. So we attempted using reducing and non-reducing conditions in case it was dependent on protein conformation. We tried deglycosylating the protein, also didn't work. And we also tried expressing TGFBR3 within a cell line to make an indirect immunofluorescence assay, um, which has worked for NKM1-associated membranous, but we did not have luck with TGFBR3. Oh, that's frustrating. That sounds like a lot of effort to try to find a way to do serology for these patients. Um, but it's just not possible at this point, right? I'm not going to give up on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that it's not possible. It's just that um, with our standard techniques, they're not working. Um, Dr. Larry Beck at, um in Boston, who discovered uh, PLE2R associated membranous. This was through immunoprecipitation with human glomerular extract. So we were excited since TGFBR3 is in glomeruli, maybe it will, you know, serum will immunoprecipitate with human glomerular extract. Unfortunately, it didn't, <laughs> despite the ability to find TGFBR3 in the human glomerular extract. He also looked for ELISA. Um, Another collaborator for TGFBR3 antibodies, and we had a great team working on this effort, but we we didn't get there, unfortunately. Well, if anybody can, I'm sure it will be you. I know you don't give up on these things, so I'm sure I'm sure it will happen in the future. I am not sure it'll be <laughs> me, but uh, I would. I, I really hope someday that this could be monitored serologically. That's true for EXT1 and EXT2-associated membranous, too. There hasn't been any ability to find autoantibodies in serum just yet, but, oh, I think they exist. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So getting back to the patients with the TGFBR3, did they have um, any um, clinical findings that brought them together as a group? Yeah, so these patients had autoimmune disease um, with... 16 of the 17 patients having a history of autoimmunity, 14 with a known diagnosis of lupus. Um, some of those others with suspected diagnosis of lupus, um, but, you know, nephritis would push them over the edge. Um, one patient had rheumatoid arthritis and one had antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. The only one that didn't have a history of autoimmunity did have a positive ANA. Mm. So it's probably also related to autoimmune disease. And... How did they do clinically after their diagnosis? Did they achieve remission? Unfortunately, that data didn't look great. So only two of uh, 15 of the 17 patients we had available follow-up data, um, only two of those 15 um, went on to have normal renal function, and 
no significant proteinuria, so less than 300 milligram per day. And we only followed up for about a year, but it doesn't look hugely promising. So it is a small sample group of only of 15 patients, but it seems like early data suggests that they may have a worse outcome compared to EXT, for example. EXT has a great outcome, so I suggest anyone with membranous lupus nephritis be tested for, for EXT1 and EXT2. It might be worth it now for TGFBR3 as well so that we can um, see if that's associated with a worse prognosis as it very well could be. And did you see any unique histologic findings in the TGFBR3 membranous cases? They looked like other membranous lupus nephritis. A lot of them had additional immunoglobulins rather than just IgG, like IgA and IgM. Um, some of them expressed C1Q, and some had full house staining with all three heavy chains in both complements. They looked like lupus. Some of them had extra glomerular staining present as well. And there's a proliferative component in a subset of patients. About a quarter had either focal or diffuse lupus nephritis in addition to the membranous. And is that different from EXT? Do you see less activity in EXT-positive cases? No. Um, we have about a, a quarter of um, proliferation in EXT-associated membranous, and that's been seen in other cohorts, too, by Dr. Sethi's group at the Mayo Clinic and from Dr. Ronco's group in um, France. So it can have a proliferative component, and even those patients tend to do well for EXT. It's really interesting. Yeah. So in this paper, you described a new secondary membranous antigen, TGFBR3, which is enriched in membranous lupus nephritis and in membranous in patients with, with other autoimmune diseases. If we identify this antigen in a patient case, how does this help the treating nephrologist? What should they do? So the hope in the future is that all of the membranous antigens can be screened for together in a multiplex approach because mm -hmm. right now there are so many of them that it's, it's becoming a little bit like alphabet soup. But if there is a screen that can be done among multiple antigens or even potentially mass spectrometry, if you see TGFBR3 positivity, this could indicate this patient likely has an autoimmune disease and um, may need a workup for that. And what other questions do you want to pursue in the future um, regarding the role of TGFBR3 in membranous glomerulopathy? Uh, so as far as the role for the protein, um, we're not working with animal models. Um, so me mechanistic studies may be challenging. However, the main thing that we love to do is to find antibodies in the serum. So mm -hmm. we're not going to give up on that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kaza, for doing this exciting research and coming on the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Arcana Labs for more exciting kidney news and research. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rebecca May underscore RP. Dr. Kaza, where can people find you on Twitter? I'm at Tiff underscore Kaza. And uh, thanks so much, Dr. May, for having me. This was fun. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes store. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.